you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Well, good morning, Life in the Sun. Welcome to a new series that we're starting this week, and it is called Foretold. So before we get into anything, we just want to first pray. Uh, but before I even pray, I just want to welcome all the visitors. I see we got Lieutenant uh, Governor Tenorio here with us today, so everybody welcome him. But more than anything, we really want to welcome the presence of God. He has already shown up this morning. And before we pray, I also want to just highlight today's message in the aspect of a reigning king. And all I got to say is hold on to your seats because today's message is going to unhinge some things, I think, in our hearts and our minds when it comes to understanding the kingdom of God. Uh, I spent a lot of time in study and even agonizing, uh, you know, through, okay, God, it's like, you know, there's this, all this stuff that's just getting packed in and, you know unless you want to sit around for two hours, I've got to condense this down to like 30 minutes. So uh, just be prepared. Amen? Amen. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that your presence is already here. We pray for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to guide and direct even the words that come out of my mouth. Let them be yours and yours alone, Father. Lord, prepare the, the hearers, Lord God. Anoint their ears. Because, Jesus, you said in your word, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, you will review the truths of your kingdom. And we pray for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Here we go. Here we go. Hey, see, look at this. My, my iPad recognizes me. All right, so this morning we're going to be talking about Jesus as the reigning king. And so this series that we're starting, it covers the events of Jesus' death and resurrection and the fact that they were not accidents or coincidence, but actually they were foretold over 700 years before they actually happened. So in this series, we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah, and we're going to look at the prophecies that foretold how Christ would come to save us. And at the end of the series, our hope is that you will be able to know more about who Jesus is, to understand his ultimate sacrifice and the resurrection in the fact that it is the only remedy for our spiritual malady. And to be able to reflect the gospel in the way that we live. This morning, when we're talking about the kingdom, Jesus said, the kingdom is here. But how many of us know that if we don't have eyes to see and ears to hear, that kingdom is going to go completely unnoticed? We're not going to see it. We're not going to understand it. In fact, it's going to perplex us when Jesus begins to say certain things, and we're just like, uh-huh, doesn't... Doesn't God know how this world really works? Doesn't God know the issues that I have in my life are real? That this seems like a fairy tale. This kingdom seems like it's so veiled. 
that it is on the other side of something that I don't know how to break through to see. So I hope today that God is going to show us that by foretelling these things, he's going to provide a little bit of hope for you to be able to see through that veil, to give you eyes to see, and to give you ears to hear. Amen? So I got a little joke, a little king joke, before we start. I tried it on my wife, my beautiful wife, Cindy, but she didn't think it was funny. <laughs> so with that in, in mind, I'm going to give it to you, and so you get to judge. Okay, my, you know, my wife, she's a tough customer, man, when it comes to, to jokes. You know? When, you know when you say the joke and they're like, huh? So... All right, you guys ready? You ready? Okay. So, which king felt only a fraction of his former self? Henry VIII. Come on. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> All right, stand up is not my, my forte, okay? I get that. <laughs> Amen. Let's go to the first slide. There we go. Look at these beautiful faces. Do you recognize any, some, most, all, none? Okay. If you look at the pictures and the faces that are before you, these are people that this world has venerated, has looked up to, has looked at in astonishment, has said these are great leaders, they're great kings, they're, they are the bee's knees when it comes to the leaders of this world. So let's go ahead and take, uh, take a look. We're going to start from the, uh, the upper, that side. So you know, you know, we're, we're backwards up here. So. so the first one up here is Nelson Mandela. He was known for leading a nonviolent win against the unjust government of South Africa. And then, of course, we have Martin Luther King, who we know is the author and leader of the Civil Rights Movement. We have Mahatma Gandhi, who did also a nonviolent protest and overthrow of uh, the government. Uh, Mother Teresa, who was known for her work in the city of Calcutta uh, in, in helping the poor and the destitute. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he was president during World War II, and he is also known for uh, bringing the, the United States through the Great Depression uh, and having the, the New Deal. And of course, we have Abraham Lincoln, who is known for abolishing slavery. And then, no, that's not some Korean guy. That is actually Mao Zedong. He is the originator and leader of what we now know as the People's Republic of China. And then you have uh, the little man complex, everybody know who that guy is, right? Everybody, everybody know Napoleon Bonaparte? Uh, he was known for leading the French Revolution. And now we get into people we don't really have pictures of, so these are kind of artist renditions, I guess. Uh, the next one is actually Alexander the Great. And there was something that I didn't really know about Alexander the Great that uh, when he was doing his conquests across Asia Minor, Egypt, uh, all the way through uh, 
almost, I, I think they said India, all the way over to India. He said that in every one of his battles that he, he did, he never lost one. Never. I was like, wow, that's incredible. Then you have, of course, Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar is known for bringing in the Roman Empire. He was a uh, well-known general, and he actually was the first one to lead a Roman army into Rome proper. Back then, the army was not allowed in Rome. Uh, only the generals and the politicians and all that were allowed to be in the city of Rome. But he was the first one to actually bring a reigning army in and take over. And then, of course, we have King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, in fact, the Bible says that there was no king like King Nebuchadnezzar. And he had ruled over many uh, parts of the same area of uh, Mesopotamia, uh, Asia Minor, all the way to Egypt. And then we have King David. So we all know who King David is. King David is the one who uh, reestablished Jerusalem as, the, king, uh, as the, uh, the capital. And he also was known for bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into the city of Jerusalem. And then last but not least is King Solomon. King Solomon was known for uh, his wisdom and for rebuilding that are for actually, yeah, for building the temple uh, that we can kind of recognize and see today as the permanent structure that it was. But I'd also like to highlight Luke 11:31, and this is what I want to begin to uh, really digress into something that we have to really disengage from this world. We have a, you know, we have these great leaders. But we also have the greatest king that ever walked this earth. And it was Jesus Christ. But the unique thing about Jesus Christ is he was unlike any king that ever walked this earth. He is not like us. He rules an upside-down kingdom, right? And we're going to get into that later. But I want to show you something out of Luke 11, starting in verse 31. It says, The queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 4, we have the Israelites requesting their first king from Samuel. And I want you to kind of, when I read the verse, I want you to look at the circumstances and why. It seems very practical. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge like all the nations. But Samuel, it says, was displeased at hearing this. 
So Samuel brought it to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. In fact, he's basically saying, grant their request. Give them what they want. But he said, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And then they will cry out on that day because of the king whom you have chosen for yourselves. So what is a king? Well, the simple definition of a king is it's a male ruler of an independent state and one who inherits the position by right of birth. They're born into it. They're not elected. They're not chosen. They're actually born into it. Many of these leaders up here were elected or walked into it. Uh, some of them were born into it, especially, uh, you know, in our, in our ancient times, we used to follow this practice quite uh, a, a lot more than we do now. Not that there aren't mo uh, monarchies right now. Monarchies exist in, uh, in England, I believe, and in India. Uh, we still have reigning kings that are considered monarchs. Let's go to the next slide. So this is... Uh, Today's study is on the wise king. Next slide, please. And our root study is going to come out of the book of Isaiah. Again, this is about foretold. This is what Isaiah foretold about the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's read. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Next slide. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear and their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner of the peoples, and the nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and the islands of the Micronesia. Okay, or Mediterranean, there we go. <laughs> amen, amen, I like that. Okay, next slide. And again, this is uh, Paul uh, just referring to it. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of, from, I don't know, did they forget a word? I just copied and pasted, honest. There shall come from the root of Jesse, 
and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles will hope. Amen. So what I'm talking about here this morning is simply we are, we're going to put together, if you would, if you would allow me, we're going to put together a resume. But this resume is going to be unlike any resume you've ever seen. This resume will never float across your desk. This resume will never show up in your inbox for any position here on earth. Because this resume belongs specifically to Jesus Christ. And we're going to take a look and see what makes Jesus qualified to be king. Why should we put our trust in this person that only showed up for a brief period of time and then left? Promises to show up again one day, but we are in this this zone of, okay, how do we do this, Lord? How do we do this? We know this morning during worship, we kept hearing the lifting up of praise and worship through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to send you a comforter. And he will remind you of everything that I have said and done. So the Holy Spirit is our connection, if it were between this world and the world to come. Jesus said, when he was standing before Pilate, he said, when he was asked if he is a king, he said, yes, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. In fact, he was telling a ruler, in essence, what the ruler heard was not, I think, Jesus' intent, but the way that he received it was, oh, okay, you're not a king of this world, so I guess I don't have to worry about you because you don't want to take over. So you go do whatever you got to do, right? But what was Jesus really saying? Jesus was saying, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world government, the world system. It is not like it in any way, shape, or form. It is not done through conquering and violence. It is not done through manipulation and control. It is done through the sacrificing of life for the purpose of love so that one could gain an inheritance into a kingdom that is not of this world. This kingdom, Jesus said, is coming in fact, he said, it is here now, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I pray this morning that Jesus is going to give you these eyes to see it and ears to hear it. Next slide. Psalms 2.6 says, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, the holy mountain. Psalm 24.10 says, Who is he, this king of glory, the Lord Almighty? So before we play it, sorry, this next video that we're going to show, it's about three minutes long. I'm assuming some of you are going to get very excited when you hear this, because I did. 
okay? But this is actually a, uh, a portion of a sermon that was delivered by Dr. S.M. Lockridge in Detroit in 1976. And it, some of you may have seen it before, but it's titled, That's My King. Go ahead. says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. is unlike any other king that has ever walked on the face of the earth. 
In fact, he's walked into many of our lives and blown us away. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you need to know him. You need to know what he can do for your heart. You need to know what he can do for your life. You need to know what his purpose is for you specifically. Many of us walk in the shadow, in the, in the shadow of doubt. We walk in the shadow of fear. We walk in the shadow of this world. But Jesus said what? He said, do not be afraid. I have overcome the world. Do not be afraid of the darkness because I am the light. If you're walking with me, everything will be made manifest to you in due time. But in the meantime, God is asking us to do one simple thing. Trust. Trust in his word. Trust in his resume. Trust in the proclamation of his character. And trust in the proclamation that his love for you is enduring and forever. Trust that his love for you is, is able to, to set the captive free to break the chains of bondage, to rule the heart with love and purpose, not out of compulsion, control, and manipulation. When we look at the, across the, the leaders that were up there, many of them were good, some were not. We know many that were actually judged by God because of conduct that did not represent his kingdom. But let's further look at this resume that God has given to us in that passage of Isaiah. Again, let's continue. He was anointed. He is the spirit of counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. He judges in righteousness, not by what he sees. He brings justice to the poor. He speaks justice over the earth. He slays the wicked with a breath. Think about that. He doesn't need guns. He doesn't need tanks. He doesn't need any weapons of war. It is simply with, with his mouth that he slays the wicked. He causes enemies to live together in peace. Who can claim that today? What leader? What president? It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, blue or, or red or purple, green, whatever. It doesn't matter. No politician can claim these things. No harm or destruction on his holy mountain. He fills the earth with the knowledge of the Lord. He provides a glorious resting place. He redeems us from sin and death. He gives hope to the world. He brings atonement for our sin. He made peace between us and God. He took away our shame, but more importantly, he demonstrated God's love for us. It wasn't just an act to get us out of hell. Trust me, church. His display of love for us is to, to unhinge us from the ways of this world, from the, the way that we think, the way that we, where we put our trust and where we put our hope. So what do we do with this, Chris? What do we do with this information that Jesus is king. Well, first, we have to understand that Jesus is the king of an upside-down kingdom, right? It's a little different than the way ours operates. God's idea of rule and authority are completely foreign to us in the natural state of who we are. Let me just give you some examples. 
To become a leader, we must serve. To find life, we must die to ourselves. To get back at your enemy, we must love them. To become rich, we must give. Completely foreign to us. But what one commonality is in every one of those statements? Trust. It's trust that God is king. It's trust that God has it all figured out. It's trust that God has a way for you. It's not that he just figured it out for the rest of the world and left you out. In fact, he was thinking about you when he put it all together. The word says that his thoughts of us are as vast as the sand of the sea. His word also says that he knew us even before we were in our mother's wombs. God is very personal, but he is also king. You know, I don't know if it was a, you know, I know what it was. It was just the Holy Spirit. But, you know, when Jared was up here sharing, you know, he said two things. When we begin to understand who God is, when we sense his Holy Spirit, it can be frightening and delightful at the same time. It's meant to be that way. It's a double-edged sword. When he cuts our pride, when he cuts our sin, when he cuts the things in our life that need to be removed, he is immediately there to heal us. In no way does he punish us without leaving us a way of escape. So what about this new kingdom? Well, Matthew stated it in Matthew 11. It says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. I couldn't find his picture either. <laughs> Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent men take it by force. Next slide. This is out of Matthew 20. It says, But Jesus called them to himself and says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom many. It takes trust to serve, does it not? Especially when the other person does not deserve your servanthood. That's the hardest, right? When God said, love your enemy, sometimes the enemy is in your own home. Sometimes the enemy is at work. Sometimes we are the enemy. But Jesus said it is through trust, through surrender, that we really learn, truly learn to understand what the kingdom is. When I think of the kingdom and the way that Jesus dis displayed it, there is no greater statement than when Jesus hung on that cross willingly. When he put his arms out for them to nail him to that cross, he did it willingly. 
does not the word say that he could have called legions of angels to come and set him free, but he chose not to. He chose not to. That's a leader. That's a king. That's my king. He's the one who sets the captive free because he chose to serve, and it takes trust. Servanthood is the action of trust. So why is God able to rule through love? Because he has the power and authority to be vulnerable and intimate with us without any disruption from the enemy. Violent authority is rooted in fear of an enemy and manipulation is needed to keep control. 1 John 4.18 says there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Because we know loving, uh, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-serving, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So we have to resist the temptation to put our trust in ourselves and in man. And this may include science, reason, intellect, all these things which are good in and of themselves, but if they trump putting trust in God, then they're worthless. And all these are woefully inadequate. In fact, we become fools in God's eyes especially when he has already proven himself faithful and true. Next slide. For it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but he is a servant king, and the king is here now. His kingdom is is here now. So what are some challenges? What are some difficulties that we might find in trying to enter into that kingdom? Well, the first and most obvious one is our sin. That may include poor choices, selfishness, pride. We may have a difficult past. We may have been victims of abuse. All these things can cloud our perception of the kingdom. So what do we do? Let's go to the next slide. We seek the kingdom. We simply seek the king and the kingdom. Because in fact, Jesus said the kingdom is here. He was specifically referring to himself. For how can you have a king without a kingdom, right? How can you have a kingdom without a king? They were here, and they have remained through the power of the Holy Spirit. We must must surrender to the kingdom. We must understand that this kingdom is different than this kingdom, and it's okay. It's better, is it not? When we really look at the qualities of the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that those qualities far outweigh the world that we live in, that they are desirable 
that they are wanted, that they are needed. We, we, we yearn for them. In fact, the book of Romans says that our spirit groans within us for the completion of all things. It groans within us because we, we have a glimpse of the kingdom of God. We have a glimpse of the king. But Jesus is saying, I'm coming. Don't worry. Hold the fort. I'm coming. Trust in me. Learn about me. For I'm meek and lowly. But he is, trust me, church, he is returning as a conquering king. But it's not gonna, he's not going to come like you think. He's not going to come again with weapons of war. He's going to come with a broken heart for those that have chosen not to trust in his resume, who have chosen not to trust in his kingdom. They have chosen not to look at the kingdom that he has described to them as valuable. For those who have not trusted in the fact that his sacrifice was not enough, it did not work for them. Church, this morning, trust in him. Trust in him. And we do that by opening the word, by spending time in prayer. Spend time in community. If you're not in a life group at this moment, plug in. Get with families that get together regularly, families in Christ. It's the lifeblood of, of, of our walk in, in, in God. It's, it's not mandatory. You know, we're not going to stand up here and say, okay, you know, everybody raise your hand. Okay, where do you live? Boom, boom, boom. No. I'm here to tell you that life group is life-giving. The people in that life group aren't perfect. And trust me, that's still not perfect when you walk through the door. Even your leaders aren't perfect. But there's one perfect thing that we can say is that we put our faith and our hope and our trust in the king. We put our faith and our hope and our trust in the kingdom. So how do we trust? Let's go to the next slide. We're almost done. Closing. Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time and forever. God wants you to trust. His arms are around you, though you don't see them. His arms are truly around each and every one of you. You know, I've shared this experience that I had, uh, I think, a couple of times, but I think it's fitting again. Uh, and maybe some of you have gone through it recently, you know, uh, if you're from Saipan or whatever, but I remember sitting in my home during Typhoon Pong Sung Wan, and I was literally fearing for my life. I mean, I had been on Guam, I think, a year and a half, all right? Lucky me, I get to be, uh, you know, participating in one of the worst typhoons ever to hit Guam, right? And so I'm in a concrete house, but there were no typhoon shutters. And so, I mean, this house was just shaking, I mean, under the, 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 the wind, right? And then my, my neighbor's roof decided to lift off the whole entire roof. Right? And I was just standing there, you know, because, you know, I mean, in some ways I was like morbidly fascinated with what was going on outside. I'm like looking and watching, and, and I'm like, this is scary, but really cool at the same time. Until I saw that roof. 
And I looked at it and it was going like this, right, on my neighbor's house. And I'm like, oh, that ain't good. And as soon as I said, that ain't good, the thing just went like this. And it came right at the house. It uh, knocked out the dining room window, knocked out a, a window upstairs. And I had 150 mile an hour winds blowing right into my house. And I kid you not, I could feel the pressure, right? Your ears. I mean, this is going like this, right? And, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? And so I'm like, I got to relieve the pressure, right? From, I'm from Wisconsin, right? We have uh, tornadoes. But, you know, you're always taught you got to open a window or something or else you're going to blow the house up. So I'm like, I don't want to blow up my house. So I was running around the house trying to find which door to open, and it was too late. I had these big double doors on the front of the house, and when I ran past them, I could see them in the hallway, and they were literally going like this. And I kid you not, as soon as I went for the other door, boom, that thing flew out. And then I had typhoon blowing through my house. I mean, it, it blew in, and then it, was, it knocked all my furniture in my dining room up against the wall, and it's blowing stuff, papers are blowing everywhere. And I ran upstairs, and there was a little landing up there. And I sat down there, and I was literally shaking. And I'm just like, Lord, is this it? Am I going? You know, and, but God was showing me something very, very, very valuable at that time. Because I had to come to one singular conclusion. But Lord, if I'm going to die today, at least I'm going to be home with you. I had to give up my life. For you to understand the kingdom, you have to be willing to die to this one. It doesn't mean you don't use this kingdom to live, to promote his. But what it means is you don't live in this kingdom to where it provides you all your hope, all your, your needs, and provides all your pleasure, all your joy, because if you notice, every one of those things, if you put those things into this world, they always get broken. The world will let you down, but Jesus won't. Next slide. I will betroth you to me forever. This is God's invitation for you today. Worship team, if you want to come on up. Betrothed, if you don't know, that's probably some English word. If I said it with an English accent, maybe you'll understand it. But it really means to marry. I will marry you to me forever. Yes, I will marry you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion, and I will marry you to me in faithfulness. And then you will know the Lord. And I'd just like to close with this, uh, this quote. We've been reading a book called Beauty Will Save the World. And the author, he says, Peter was calling people to stop living under the dominion of the principalities and powers of this age that are corrupting the world and begin to live under the dominion of the world's new and rightful king. Father, we just come before you and we thank you.
thank you that you have the power of just your word to be able to set the captive. We thank you that you provide such a secure foundation for us, Lord God, that even though the winds may be blowing and the storms may be raging in this world, they are no indication that you are out of control. In fact, if we put our faith and our hope and our trust in you, nothing in this life for us will be lethal. Because, Lord, you have the power over life and death. You and you alone have that authority. And, Father, if we put our trust in you, then we know we put our faith and our hope and our trust in the one that can truly save us. an opportunity for anyone this morning that feels that I really need to trust in the Lord for the very first time. I see his kingdom. My eyes have been opened. I now understand the purpose of what Jesus did. I have a greater understanding of why I need to trust him. that is you this morning, just go ahead and slip up your hand again, every eye closed, every head bowed, just so we can respect the privacy of those that are in this house. If that's you, just go ahead and lift up your hand and we will, we will pray. See that hand? See that hand? Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? See that hand? Thank you. Anybody else? Pray after me. And if these words in your heart are true, then you, today you will know that you have put your faith and hope and trust. Because it says in the book of Romans that if we confess with our mouth that the Lord Jesus Christ has died and rose again, that we will be saved. So, Father, I come before you this morning and I put my faith, my hope, my trust. the Holy Spirit now into my life and show me the way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning, please.